Well, good morning again, and it's great to see you and great that you're here with us this morning as we are um, in the middle of this series called Parenting on Point, where we're using some of Jesus's most famous words to teach us how to parent. Now, I think I qualify because I have parents to be able to talk into the situation, but also have kids. And I also have been a children's minister for over eight years here, seeing hundreds of kids and families walk through. So I'm just excited to share with you just maybe some of the things I've learned, uh, what God's teaching me in this season of life, and just excited to walk in this parenting endeavor with you. So we're excited that you're here. We challenge you and, and hope and encourage you that you will be here each and every week this series as we'll just be diving into Jesus's words from the greatest commandment. And we find that in Luke 10 and Mark 12, and Mark 12 will be on the screen. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. Of course, the secondly is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. And so we're using that framework to teach us how do we parent our kids? How do we parent? And so today we're taking a look at how do we love the Lord with all of our heart, And then how do we give that to our kids? How do we love our kids with all of our heart as well? So I'm no expert at all, but I want to help lead us into this conversation, this discussion together. And before the service, I said this could be like a four-day discussion, but we have about 30 minutes. Uh, So we're just going to scratch the surface and talking about how do we love our kids with all of our heart. So first of all, in order to do that, we need to really understand what is the environment that our kids are being raised in, right? Because like me, I can find myself saying things like, well, when I was a kid, this. When I was a kid, that, right? But that's just not true about how our kids, the environment that they're growing up in. In 2019, the American Academy of Pediatrics said this statement. This was before the pandemic. It says, mental health disorders have surpassed physical conditions as the main source of impairment and limitation among adolescents. Okay, so that may not register the first time because it didn't register for me. But now mental health conditions, mental health problems, mental health issues are more prevalent than physical issues. And this is the American Academy of Pediatrics, meaning the, the group of doctors and clinicians that work with kids are seeing more mental health disorders than acute physical disorders. See, doctors were raised and trained to, to, to find a physical condition and to treat that physical condition. And now one half to three-fourths of most practices are seeing mental health conditions walk into their doors. And, and this isn't my words, uh, but, but these are words um, of another clinician, another pediatrician who said, who said this, pediatricians need to take on a larger role in addressing mental health problems. Yet... The majority of pediatricians do not feel prepared to do so. Because we see puberty happening two years earlier than what happened when my grandparents were little. Now, you may think, okay, puberty, that's when, like, the the sexual hormones start raging. Well, that's part of it, but that's not all of it, because what happens during puberty is going on in the brain. There's a lot of stuff happening, chemical imbalances and hormones raging. They're trying to figure out and how to go from this, this protected, safe environment of home into this big world where it's so complex, where hierarchy and competition are raging, and they're not prepared for it. Their minds think they might be prepared for it, but they're really not. Puberty is happening earlier, 
We have a society that is going faster, more complex. The role of pediatricians and emergency room doctors is changing. They don't feel qualified or ready to, to serve in this way. The, afford the affordability of care for mental health professionals, a lot of times families can't afford it. It's also a waiting list to get to see many of these doctors. And I know this from my own family. All three of my kids have sought mental health uh, treatment for different reasons. And, and it's difficult, it's costly, but we think it's important. And we're trying to figure out how do we parent in this day and in this age. Here's the thing that I, I, I hope I'm communicating to them when they're going through a struggle. It's that you're hurt, but you won't be broken forever. Amen. And so if your family is walking through a mental health issue right now, I want to say to you, they may be hurt, but they won't be broken forever. Amen. The Lord is with us, and he has given us people to come alongside of us, to walk with us, and it may feel like you're hurt, but you won't be broken forever. And so how do, we, how do we love our kids with all of our heart? Well, I think it starts when we're kids as well, and how we attach uh, to our parents. So if you are in here and you have parents, you attached in one way or another to your parents, uh, but what also is important is that that is also correlated to how we attach to our kids, but that's also how we attach to God. And so I've been learning about this attachment science, and it's fascinating, but it's important that we understand how do we really truly connect and attach with our kids? Because having children, for those of you that have children or you've witnessed children and, and parents interact, having children activates some of our most vulnerable, some of our most fearful and wonderful emotions, and sometimes all at the same time, right? So how do we love our kids with all of our heart. Well, I think the, the most important thing we can do is we model the Father's heart for us. Amen. So we model God's heart for us. And we can look in Scripture and see how does God love his people, and then we model that to our kids. See, when our parents, as, or as parents, when our parents, or when we are parents, we're absent, we're unresponsive, we're emotionally, or we're physically violent, the children then adapts to that stressful environment by developing a nervous system highly tuned to stress, right? The fight or the flight principle, where they're constantly trying to figure out, do I strive? Do I try to achieve in order to make them happy? Do I have shame? Do I have blame? Do I just shut down? It's this attachment that matters. And so as parents, when we enter into this attachment relationship, when we meet our children's needs consistently, not perfectly, we can raise children who are then more secure in their relationship with their God. So three things that I wanted to boil down to this morning. Number one, how, we, how do we model the Father's love and heart for us? We delight in our kids. We delight in them. Delight means I see you. Delight means that you're trying to show that you're discovering and you're expressing your love for them. Delight means they don't have to do anything to earn your favor. Delight is simply the dance that we have as parents and children that when they're loved well, that they're excited to see one another, excited to be in the presence of one another, not simply for the benefit that they bring, not simply anything that they can do, but simply because of who they are. Amen. And when we delight in our kids, we build a foundation for emotional and relational safety. And from that safety, out of that safety, kids can explore, kids can grow into their talents and their abilities. Zephaniah in the Old Testament says it like this, For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. 
He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all of your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. That's the God that we love and we worship and we serve. That's how we point. That's who we point to for our kids. Mr. Rogers, the great theologian, says it like this. I like you just the way you are. Now, I grew up watching Mr. Rogers some. I love the little trolley. But I suggested to my kids to watch Mr. Rogers this weekend, and my nine-year-old said, who the heck is that? <laughs> and I was like, really, Mr. Rogers? All right, we got to turn it on. <laughs> but you see, Mr. Rogers, in his ministry, had a gift to be able to look at someone and to tell them that I like you just the way you are. Whether it was a kid, whether it was an adult, a grandparent, a stranger, a close friend. And that statement creates safety and security and brings an invitation into calm and presence of another person. It's true closeness. And rather than, than having a God who loves us in spite of who we are, we need and we have a God who delights in who we are in spite of what we've done. Let me say that again. Rather than a God who loves us in spite of who we are, we need and we have a God who delights in who we are in spite of what we've done. When we delight in someone, we create that emotional safety where they can relax instead of performing. It's like coming home after a long trip, after a long day of work, and seeing your kids at the door waiting for you. That's one of my favorite joys in parenting because I know they're delighted and they're excited to see me, and I'm excited to see them as well. So first, we delight in them. Second, we provide a safe place for comfort and protection. Comfort means I see your suffering, and protection works to resolve the harm that may be around them, physical or emotional. As a baby, we meet the physical needs of a baby by holding them, by feeding them, by changing them, and we meet their emotional needs by comforting them, right? By consoling them when they're crying. One of the things that I wish maybe someone had recommended to me, and I'm going to start recommending to uh, new parents, instead of focusing so much on how do I parent this person, what if you focused on how should I be with this person, Amen. right? Because we're fighting for that relationship. Sure, it matters how we feed them and how they sleep and how they grow, but how are we going to truly be with our children? Amen. So we make room for their emotions, and we, we equip them to walk through their emotions. Because emotions are a big deal. We're teaching about emotions all this, this month in both preschool and elementary. We see in the Bible all over the place, Hagar in the desert, the disciples in the boat during the storm, David, as he's writing in the Psalms, his emotions are woven all throughout his spiritual life. It's part of why he was known as a man after God's own heart. He tells God about his joy about his suffering, about his grief, his anxiety, his doubt, his guilt, and his gratitude. He brings it all to the table, knowing and, and loving a God who can handle his emotions, right? And how he's going to respond. And this is what our kids truly need from us. They need us to be a sanctuary, to be a place where we can look at them and say, I love all of who you are, all of what you're going through, not just the best of you, or not just when it's convenient for us. The sadness and the worry that our kids are feeling and experiencing shouldn't be seen as a lack of faith, 
shouldn't be seen as a, a, a source of fear for us, but as a way to come alongside and comfort and protect them. And that attachment will bring nearness and love to your kids. There's also a story in the New Testament when Jesus was walking with some friends. It's the story of Lazarus, when Martha and Mary are discovering that their brother has passed away. And we see this, this relationship between Martha and Mary and Jesus and the crowd. And in, in John chapter 11, it says, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had only been here, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. We can see Martha is grieving and is, is frustrated and is sad because her brother has passed away. And she's bringing those emotions to Jesus and laying them at his feet. And what is his response? We'll look at it in just a moment. But we see that Jesus is allowing the room for, for their emotions to happen. We know what Jesus knows on this side. Jesus knew what was coming ahead. As parents, often we can know what's coming ahead for our kids, but they can't see it. So what do we do? We model what Jesus did uh, for these friends. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her were also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Jesus got into the middle with them, and Jesus wept. We see a, a, not a parent, but Jesus, a Lord and a Savior and a God who came to this earth not only to be near us, but to be with us and to shoulder the emotions and the pain for us. Amen. We see that Jesus came to, to get inside a relationship with us. And that's how we need to be with our kids. Right. Sharing pain like what Martha and Mary did to Jesus is a risk, right? We don't know when we share pain with someone how they're going to respond, and when our kids share pain with us, they are trusting that we're listening and that we'll understand them. Now, maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, well, my kid just won't share anything with me. Or maybe they're grown and they're out of the house and you feel like you don't have that connection with them anymore. Maybe it's not that they don't want to connect with you. Maybe it's that they don't know how you're going to receive it. Or maybe they just don't know how. And so as parents, we look for ways that we can connect with our kids so that we'll listen and we'll understand what they're going through. Our kids need to know that they matter, right? Our kids need to know that their emotions matter and that their connection is not in jeopardy. They need a love that holds them close. And that is exactly what our need is with our Heavenly Father. So number one, we delight in them. Number two, we provide a safe place for comfort and protection. And number three, we model how to live this out in our heart. And this may be the most difficult one because they're watching us, right? They're watching how we react in certain situations. They're watching the words that we say. They're watching how we treat other people, whether we're in the car, the grocery store, in our own home. I see my kids looking and watching what I do. And they're going to model the behavior that they see us doing. So we have to model how to live this out in our own hearts. We equip our kids to live this out in their own lives by finding a way forward together. Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. Another way is that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And in our elementary class, every month we have a memory verse, a Bible verse that we work on. 
And the reason that we work on the Bible verse is not just so kids can get a prize, and they love prizes. (laughs) It's not just so that they can memorize some words. What we say and what we teach your kids in elementary is that those words that are in the Bible, when we memorize them, when we learn them, we put them into our brains, and then they travel to our heart, and then they come out of our mouth. And so as they're learning these memory verses, as they're learning the stories, we hope and we pray that they're getting inside their brain, inside their heart, and that's what's being spoken out of their mouths. And so as a parent, if you have a child who's in elementary and they come home with those cards or they come home with papers and and you're like, oh, that just is another thing to throw away or carry, I'm going to challenge you. Instead of just encouraging your child to learn them, how about you learn them together? What would it look like if you and your children journeyed together in a relationship with God? How would it look like for you if you were to model this in your own heart and living it out in your own heart first? See, we've got to model out different things in our spiritual walk, right? One of the biggest things and and most challenging things I think right now is learning how do we rest? How do we teach our kids how to rest? We, We talked about earlier the stats and the, the, the fast-paced society that we're in. We're shuttling our kids from activity to activity to activity. We're making sure that they're keeping up academically. We're checking out those test scores. We're making sure that they're hitting all the marks, making sure that they're president of a club, that they're the, the leader of the team. And those are not bad things, but are we truly teaching our kids how to rest in God? Amen. That's really hard to do. But it's in times of rest that we can build secure relationships with our Heavenly Father. We see that Jesus modeled that when he was on earth, that he got away in times of rest to emotionally and spiritually connect with his Father. And so let me just ask you, are you teaching your kids how to rest? Are you teaching yourself how to rest? That's hard because that's where you become vulnerable that's where you become uh, submissive to say, hey, this, isn't a, this life isn't about me. Amen. God, I, I want you to teach me, and I want to be your vessel. And that is a hard practice to learn. But if we want our kids to learn how to do that, we better be doing that first. Amen. And so we need to teach our kids how to rest. Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people, not the people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even over the Sabbath. The Sabbath was given to the Israelites, and it literally means cease striving. So if you're here today and you're just like, I don't know how to rest anymore, let me just say it's okay. It's okay. You have permission to rest. You have a biblical encouragement to rest. It's like that cozy cabin. Some of you guys are, are, are camping people. I'm not. I would rather sleep in my own bed. But some of you are, are camping people, or maybe you have access to a cabin that's in, in, in the woods somewhere where, where you have this amazing retreat space where you can go and get away from it all. Maybe you don't have that. But think of the metaphor of a cozy cabin where you have the key and you can go anytime you want. It's paid for. You don't have to worry about the upkeep. You can just unlock the door and walk in and throw yourself down and rest and read a book or, or just connect with your family. That cozy cabin is what we do strive to create for our kids. And it's what God is creating for us. 
All we have to do is walk in. So one of the things that we teach our kids is how to rest. Another thing that we teach them is how do we forgive? How do we forgive? One of the best stories, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is the story of the prodigal son. Many of you have probably heard of it. I, I wish in some ways it was called the story of the forgiven, forgiving father because the perspective of the father is what we're going to talk about today. And we know that in this story, the, the, there's two brothers and one of them asks for their inheritance early so that they can go out and spin lavishly and live wildly and do whatever they want to do, just complete freedom. And we see that that obviously didn't work out well for him, right? He finds himself in, in the midst of a famine without food, without money, trying to figure out how can I just get home so that my father could accept me? He's going over in his mind, here are the words I need to say. I need to ask for forgiveness. I need to say I'll work. Don't have to worry about paying me. You know, I'm just trying to imagine as a kid what, or as a, I don't know how old he was, a teenager maybe, what he was trying to go through in his head to get back to earn favor with his father. He did everything wrong. But don't miss the end of the story. Returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. The parable of the forgiving father is teaching that the father's door is always open. The father is waiting to meet his son's needs. And not only is he waiting, he's looking out for his son's needs. He's looking on the horizon to say, at any minute, I know he's going to come back. I know he's going to come back, and I'm going to be ready when he is. The father doesn't make any hold, any hard and fast conditions for him to come back. The father doesn't say, I told you so. The father doesn't say, if you only would have listened, you wouldn't have experienced that. The father doesn't say, if you go out, this is what's going to happen. I promise you. The father says, I see this person that I love, and I'm choosing to forgive. And so as parents... We reconnect, we redirect. Randy said that last week. We reconnect first, and then we, re we redirect. We affirm that the relationship is solid, and then we address the behavior. But let's take it a step further. When we mess up, because we mess up, how do we respond to our kids? Do we seek that forgiveness when we've messed up and when we've fallen short? When we choose the path of reconnection over and over again, it teaches our children that healthy relationships are sustained by grace and forgiveness, not by being perfect. So what do we do when we feel like we have nothing to give? Because I think I've found myself at that situation as a parent a few times. Even when we feel inadequate, we need only to bring what we have no matter how little, and we offer it. With prayer and imperfect action over time, we discover sustaining love that carries our children through because of Jesus. Amen. We believe that as we seek to meet our children's needs, as we love them with our heart, we can find healing for ourselves too, as children of the one who is with us and takes delight in us. But we also look for healthy ways to come alongside a community to join a support network. So let me encourage you, if you're not part of a small group, I would encourage you to be, become part of one. If you're not planning to come to the intentional parenting class starting this Wednesday, let me challenge you to rearrange your schedule and your priorities so that you can join us. You could walk together with other believers. 
Maybe there's something else going on, and Celebrate Recovery is a great ministry to help walk through with you what you might be going through. Or maybe there's other professional help that you could seek. But when we know that our painful human experiences will be met with softness, we can begin to melt into the arms of another person or into a God who longs to hold us. So some of you may be experiencing some heavy emotions yourself this morning. Maybe it's a relationship with your parents that is damaged. Maybe it's a relationship with a child that is fractured. And maybe you're just trying to keep it all together. Or maybe your emotions are stuffed so far down deep inside that you don't know how to connect with your kids. You don't know how to share what's going on inside of your heart. Maybe you just feel like it's a pattern of shaming yourself and blaming yourself for what's gone on in your life. I'm going to challenge you to take a risk and to release those to a God who allows space for them. Intimacy with God. If we're going to teach our kids how to, how to love God, intimacy with God happens with us first in an emotional interaction of a relationship. When we hide those emotions from God, we never get the closeness that we long for. And the truth is that the same thing happens with our kids. When we hide our emotions with our kids or when we are distant from our kids, the closeness is never going to happen. If we truly want to love our kids with all of our heart, bonding is built on responsiveness, feeling that others understand our emotional connection and that they care. It's how we know we matter to others. But most importantly, it's how we know we matter to God. So kids feel connected when you love and nurture them. Kids feel connected when you accept and understand them. Kids feel connected when you validate their feelings, just like our Heavenly Father does for us. Jesus gave us this picture, a parent who provides all we need for a secure relationship, even when we run far away. And Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary, and parenting will make you weary. All of you who carry heavy burdens. Parenting is a heavy burden sometimes. But Jesus said, come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. In just a moment, we're going to sing one song together and I'm gonna invite you to come up if you would like to respond and to pray with someone, if you would like to share your heart with someone. There'll be some folks up here, right, up, right down front. You can come up, you can pray with someone, and we can pray together about what you might be going through. But we can also pray about your parenting and your kids. And let me just encourage you one more time. If you're not planning to be here on Wednesday, let me just challenge you to be here. We would love to walk in this parenting journey together. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you are an awesome, great God. You are the supreme model of parenting. No matter whether we had a strong connection with our parents or not, we know that that in some ways dictates our connection with you. And we know that you are a true and amazing God. God, I pray today, this week, 
that there would be moments that we could just surrender to you in our parenting and how we relate and connect to you, that there would be something that we, that you touched our hearts about this morning that we would come back to and we would just fall into your arms. Thank you for your grace. When we don't measure up, and we won't, we're so thankful for your son Jesus who died for us. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.